session with Dr. Farid Holakwi. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Dulakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram, or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on iTunes. Again, studio number 310-441-0555. Wanted to make another announcement for the panel on peace that is happening tomorrow at UCLA, tomorrow, Thursday, November 21st, from 6 to 8 p.m. in Royce Hall. And this has been organized by the Iranian Student Group at UCLA, and I'll be joined with a few other um, individuals who will be sharing their own professional opinions and expertise on this topic of peace and also uh, unifying uh, under our Persian or Iranian identity. So that's tomorrow, Thursday, November 21st, from 6 to 8 p.m. at UCLA in Royce Hall. Hope to see you there. Uh, I'll announce the book of the week for this week again. It is Brief Answers to the Big Questions by Stephen Hawking. This book was published shortly after his death, but was in he was working on it, or they were compiling different writings that he had of, about these different important topics, things that even get into metaphysical issues like, is there a God? Uh, how did it all begin? And then also even, can we predict the future? Or we Will we survive on Earth? So I'm just a little bit uh, into the book, have a lot more to go, but I'll be sharing that with you on... Uh, Monday's show of next week. Brief Answers to the Big Questions by Stephen Hawking. Um, so I wanted to start off today, people ask a lot about relationships and different aspects or different types of relationships, but one very negative aspect of relationships or types of relationships that people do experience are abusive relationships. And um, it's much more common than many people would think because one of the problems with abusive relationships is the person often feels ashamed to say anything about it or won't talk about what they are going through. Also, the person they're in the relationship with will try to silence them and try to disconnect them from others in every way that they can so that they can't tell anyone what's going on, to isolate them, to use their power over them, and to make sure that they don't get any help or support that might make them get out of the relationship. And so therein lies one of the paradoxes of a, an abusive relationship. When you have someone who is, and in this case I'm talking about within between two adults, um, not with a parent and a child, let's say, um, but when you have two adults and one of them is using their power over someone else, it appears like that person is the strong one because they're using power to um, get what they want from the person. And so when we look at these two people, we can think the one who's getting abused is weak and the other one is very strong. But actually the person who is doing the abuse is very weak themselves. They are operating out of a place of weakness, not strength, even though it looks that way. 
So if someone uses force to get someone to do what they want, this isn't coming from strength. This is actually coming from the weakness that who I am, what I am is not enough itself. I have to force you. I have to overpower you. I have to abuse you to get what I want, to get my way. And so related to that, I have to take away all your ways of connecting with other people, with the outside world, with uh, friends and family, to make sure that you will stay with me. So it's not a place of strength, even though they look like the more powerful person in the relationship. It's coming from a weak place. Because if I feel I'm good enough, if I feel who I am is right and good and lovable, then I won't need to force someone or use power to get them to want to be with me, or I won't have to use intimidation or aggression to keep them with me. But clearly, if I don't feel those things, I'm afraid I'm going to lose you. And so that's what we see in an abusive relationship is the person is afraid to lose the other person. And so they try to come up with ways to keep them through force, through putting them down, through making them feel bad about themselves, whatever they can do to keep them small in order to keep them in that relationship. And so the themes you see in an abusive or domestically violent relationship uh, have all of these within them. So for example, if you're in an abusive relationship, and I should add, usually if we think of a heterosexual relationship, we think the male is the abuser, and that is more likely the case, but it's not only the case. It could also be the other way around. Uh, and physical abuse is not the only way that someone can do this. It also can be emotional, or it always includes emotional, but it could also not have physical, but still be an abusive uh, relationship even I know we consider domestic violence has to be physical but it can have very much the same themes and the same dynamics but one of the things we see is that the person who is the quote-unquote abuser is very aware and mindful of keeping the power away from the person they are abusing so in the stereotypical example of a, a husband and wife the wife wants to get educated the wife wants to get a job and the husband says no First of all, because of their usual jealousy and insecurity, they're afraid that if their partner is out and meeting other people, they're going to lose them. But also there's this feeling that if you get powerful enough, you won't want me anymore. You won't need me anymore because they try to create a very dependent, need-based relationship. You won't love me unless you need me. And if you become strong enough, powerful enough, you won't want me or need me anymore and you won't love me and then I lose you. So I have to keep you weak. I have to keep you uh, down and small and also, again, disconnected because that's my only hope in having you. So this is not in a way to feel sorry for the abuser or to justify or in any way condone what they're doing, but we can see how weak and hurt they are, how small they are if they're hurting someone else. And so even if they appear powerful or strong in some ways, we know that anyone who's treating someone this way, especially treating someone they love, that means they are obviously feeling weak themselves. And I've heard this in relationships before that are this way. It could be so paradoxical. The person will say, if you do this, I'm going to kill you. Or if you do this, I'm going to hurt you in these ways. And somehow they can try to convince themselves and the partner that they're doing this out of love, which just sounds crazy. I would actually hurt you in some way. I would 
damage you or your life in some way. And somehow I try to tell myself and tell you it's because I love you so much. And here I should also add, at times I think there's this misconception people have that love makes you crazy and makes you do crazy things. Yes, when you fall in love, you can lose your sense of self. You can bring up lots of intense feelings and emotions, and you might even feel you're becoming more irrational in certain ways. But in no way does it mean you ever have to hurt your partner in extreme ways or do something, we can maybe say crazy, to be in love. And some people even say you're, you're not in love unless you're doing something crazy or have done something crazy in the relationship. And that is definitely not true, especially something that hurts your partner in some way. That's not love as it doesn't show how crazy you are about each other or how uh, right you are for each other that just like shows how wrong you are for each other and how wrong you view love you don't need to hurt someone uh, in any way to show them you love them that's not part of love and so you please keep that in mind that when you have an experience like that and you try to trick yourself and thinking this is what love is about love is crazy if you look in movies and stories you see people do crazy things when it comes to love when you have a healthy love, you don't hurt the other person. You don't have to damage them in any way. That's not love. That's definitely something else and something that's definitely not love. But um, coming back to this idea of trying to hold the person down, you see this theme in all these abusive relationships. When someone knows they have nothing themselves to offer, they feel that they have to keep you small. So if you see this in your relationship, pay attention to it. And they don't say it this way. They won't say, oh, I don't want you to get a job because then you'll become powerful or more powerful than me. And also that's a big part of it, especially for men. Oftentimes this insecurity, well, that if they're with a woman who is edu as educated, more educated, can make more money than them, they'll feel even more insecure. So they have to keep that woman small, but they'll give you other reasons that, oh, you know, I'd like for you to stay home. Even I've heard this excuse before, again, not just in abusive relationships, but uh, by men who might feel threatened by their wife becoming more powerful or stronger, that I, I value you being with the kids so much that I want you to stay at home, which of course, it's not bad to have a parent home with the kids, but at times they're actually using this as an excuse to protect themselves from that insecurity or the fears that they're having and making it seem in a very noble way. It could even be unconscious. They might not be aware of it, but there is at times this feeling that the person is not really uh, so concerned about the child care. Uh, it's more about the fact that they're worried about their wife being out and becoming more powerful, becoming more independent, and again, not needing them as much. And so they find ways to limit what they could do. Uh, another thing I've alluded to is the tendency to try to disconnect the person they are abusing. So they will make it harder for them to have friends. They'll start to talk bad about their friends, especially friends of the opposite sex, but even more, just even friends and family, just keeping them away from people. They're trying to make the person more dependent on you, knock, knocking every way of connection that you have down so that they become more and more dependent on you. And also because they know if you start to talk to someone about the relationship, they'll tell you how bad it is and you'll start to become aware of that and you'll go away. So we see this in all sorts of ways, uh, even in societies, but they try to take information away from someone in, in this sense because they know that the more they know, the more they'll realize that things are not okay, things are not right, and they're going to try to escape the situation or change the situation that they're in. And so similarly in in romantic relationships, we see that same theme. 
I don't want my partner to talk to people because if they talk to people about how I'm treating them, they'll tell them to leave or they'll tell them that things are not okay. And so I've even seen this happen in therapy where someone finally comes in and they say that their partner has discouraged them strongly to go to therapy. Even sometimes they don't tell their partner they've come to therapy because they say that they told me or forbid me to come and they said it's stupid and whatever reasons they gave about therapy, they're not working or not being worth the money and all that stuff. Oftentimes it's because they know that if they talk to someone else, especially a professional who can look at their relationship, they'll tell them that this relationship is so unhealthy and the things that you are believing in this relationship are not true. And that's another big part of what happens in abusive relationships is the abuser does things like what we call gaslighting, which is convincing someone of things that is not true or convincing someone that things that are not their fault are actually their fault. So for example, I tell you, hey, let's meet for lunch at 12 p.m. tomorrow. And then at 12, 12, 15, you're at the restaurant and you call me and say, uh, hey, I'm here. Where are you? And I say, what are you talking about? And you say, we made plans for lunch. And I say, what are you saying? We never made plans for lunch. Are you going crazy? And they make the person feel like they're crazy for believing something that was actually very true or something that was talked about. Uh, this is in some way a more mild version of it. We're talking about meeting for lunch, but they do it in bigger ways uh, when it comes to things in the relationship that make the person feel very confused and disoriented. They start to think maybe I am going crazy, but the abuser is very good at finding ways to blame their partner for things that really are their own fault or for their own bad behavior or things that they are doing. Uh, even things like, oh, I, you made me so mad, that's why I did what I did. Blaming the other person for what they have done uh, when what they did is not okay. So they'll even say things like an, a person who can have an issue with anger, you'll hear them say things like, you know, I did this. Can you believe how angry you made me? So rather than taking responsibility for what they did, they say, you must have made me so angry that I acted in X, Y, or Z way, which of course is not right or at all. But the person starts to believe it. They start to internalize this view that they are the problem. If only they were better, they um, wouldn't be in this situation or this type of relationship. And so the pattern unfortunately continues. So again, there is this fear from the abuser side of, well, if my partner talks to anyone, if they're connected in some way, they're going to realize how wrong and bad this relationship is. And lastly, I'll note that when you're in this type of relationship from the outside, it's very easy for people to say, oh, the person either wants this relationship or they don't hate it that much because they're staying in it. But these relationships are very powerful. They take on a life of their own. We know that when you're in a situation, um, it's much harder to see it as opposed to someone who's seeing it from the outside. Again, another reason why the abuser tries not to let the person talk to people or go to therapy. But when someone's in a situation, it's much more complicated than it seems from the outside. Also, leaving these types of relationships and situations can be very difficult. So it's important that we keep this in mind before we judge someone who's in a bad relationship, that they are to blame for it, that somehow their fault is as big as the abusers because they must love it. They must like it because they're in it. It's much more complicated than that. And we always want to be aware of not judging or blaming a victim of a situation. But again, the abuser is always going to keep in mind that the more they can keep the person down, the more they can keep them disconnected, the easier chance they have to keep themselves uh, in power uh, in the relationship and keep themselves in power. And so they use these different methods and means because they know what they are doing is not right 
to try to keep themselves in power. And that's basically what they do. Uh, we've reached our first commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello. Yes, hi. Thanks for calling. Hey, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Thank you. Oh, hi. I barely hear you, doll. Um, okay. I'll talk so, a little louder. Hello. Yes, hi. Hi. Uh, yeah, so uh, I've been going out with um, um, my boyfriend slash fiance uh, for about two and a half years now. Uh, actually, got engaged last year. Um, um, there's a lot of things about him that I love, uh, uh, but there is a problem here because uh, I think that he gets, um, um, uh, I mean, to me, he gets too upset about various small things, and then we end up having, like, huge arguments, and then it just takes a lot of energy out of me, and then I don't even, uh, when he gets upset, the point is I don't even realize that, um, like, I don't even get it, that why he got so upset. Um, mm-hmm. To me, he's, like, just being, um, I think he's too sensitive sometimes. Mm-hmm. And um, he always, like, um, yeah, and even when I explain, like, um, sorry, I didn't realize, it's that I have to repeat myself over and over again. And it's just been like that um, since the beginning at first. Um, you know, I had the energy, I, I would go through it, but then um, the things that we fight about is just, um, to me, it's just too unimportant. Okay. And uh, it makes me think, like, because um, now we're at a point that we want to live together, mm-hmm. but it makes me, uh, I'm a little scared because um, I'm thinking it would be too hard because um, if you're fighting over these small things, then what happens when... Um, we have children, or we want to buy a house, or like bigger issues comes on our way. Yeah. Um, so that's I'm just you know thinking okay. if I'm making the right decision. Yeah, well, it's important to look at this like you're saying. If you guys move in together, get, then get married, have kids, these issues or issue it won't go away. It'll only get bigger and more important. Um, and so we want to look at what's happening. Is it really he's upset about the small issues, and like you're saying, he's just very sensitive about those things or is there deeper things that are there but then he brings up these smaller things on the surface in a way because it's easier for him to talk about those things so really what he's upset about is something else now give me a little bit of a background how old are you and how old is he well i'm 35 um he is 36 okay and then uh have either of you been married before no no okay Okay. now so tell me about when you say he gets really upset about something small, let's let's get into like, an example. Yeah, give me an example of yes, something. Like, uh, like, um, well, we were on a vacation, and then we were uh, uh, we were in a group, and then um, I asked uh, another male friend, a, a male friend of him, a question, and then um, you know, I was just making conversations. I even knew the answer. I was just making conversations. You know, something very unimportant. And then uh, all of a sudden, um, I saw, like, he puts on this, I call it a bitter face, like, mm-hmm. um, he gets too quiet, and then 
he's not verbally abusive or any of that, but uh, and then I was like, what's wrong? And he said, why did you ask him the same question that you had asked me before? It makes me think that you don't trust me. And I honestly, I'm like, did I even ask you that question? I'm sorry, like I forgot. Uh, um, I was just making our conversations, you know, and didn't mean to. He was like, no, this is insulting. This is disrespectful. And um, it's not like easy conversation. Like he gets, uh, like he can easily make a good day, um, like to a rainy day in a, like a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just he makes my time hard. Like uh, um, I, I try to explain, but he gets too um, defensive and doesn't. He, he goes quiet. Uh, it, it feels that I feel like I he needs a lot of reassurance from me. Um, mm-hmm. Or one time we had a huge fight. I think this is like a, like you said, there was a bigger issue. But then he just uh, he found this to fight about. Um, well, I was telling him on a text that I'm going to see my sister uh, for two weeks in in Europe. And then um, he said something else. He said he's fine. And then I answered his last text like 17, literally 17, it's ridiculous, but 17 minutes late. Mm -hmm. And then he was, all of a sudden, he was like, why did you answer my text late? I was like, I didn't see it. Um, And then he's like, no, that's like, you don't care. Um, You're on your phone. I know you're on your phone, and I know that uh, you're having this conversation, and all of a sudden, you don't answer me. Mm. We had a huge fight over that. Like, yeah. we, we weren't talking for about a week. Um, I'm thinking that he was unhappy about me leaving for two Maybe. weeks. And it he could just be. brought up yeah. this ridiculous, like, 17-minute late response. Right, and that's the thing where, you know, usually when someone gets upset about what we consider small things, it's about other things, just like... You know, the kind of cliche example with husbands and wives is like taking out the trash, but it's not about taking out the trash. It's about bigger issues. So it does seem like in both of those stories, there's some theme of him not feeling like he's important enough to you, not feeling like you love him or that, you know, he's your priority in some way. And it could just be his own insecurity and nothing that you're doing. But it does seem to be that theme that underneath, like you said, yeah, 17 minutes not responding to a text, there's something about him feeling like he, you don't love him that much. And you could be right. It's that you said you were going to leave for two weeks. And so he might have felt abandoned by you or this fear of abandonment. And then so then you don't respond for 17 minutes. It's almost for him. It probably felt like a long time because he felt so alone. He had that abandonment feeling. Now, it doesn't mean you were wrong or you shouldn't go on your trip. But because you are with him and it seems like you want to try to make it work, we have to understand him better and what he is feeling. And also, you're right, it's hard when in a relationship the person doesn't share what really is bothering them but puts it on something else. And I don't know if he's definitely doing that, but it seems like that's how you feel it is, that he's not, he doesn't tell you what he's actually upset about. He says something else about the 17 minutes when maybe he didn't like you were going to go travel for two weeks without him. Um, and that was yes. I feel like he's like like a child that's throwing a tantrum, like like he doesn't get what he wants, and then just you know, all yeah. of a sudden, like he 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 like takes this fight. Um, yeah, and you know something else you said before is something that a lot of people experience, and you know you said well at the beginning I had more 
patience and energy for it, and now I don't. And in a way that can be good, you are trying to make it work, but this is also why we don't want to ignore our feelings even from the beginning, because eventually it's going to build up and then you're going to either resent him or blow up at him or something, and, and that's going to be even worse. And well, I so, do blow up. I yeah, I'm I sure you do now. Up. And that's my point is that people sometimes think, well, you know what, I'll just learn to deal with this. And usually we can't because we have our own feelings. It doesn't go away. And there is that feeling of, well, maybe it's just like this now. It's going to go away. But you're realizing now, of course, it's only going to get worse, if anything. So I'm just saying that for people to keep this in mind, that when you start feeling things early in a relationship, it's not that you have to say that's a deal breaker or make it a big deal, but also don't ignore those feelings. It's telling you something. And this is why I'm always such a big advocate of telling people to pay attention to their feelings is because they give us information. So clearly he would get mad in ways or get upset in ways that you felt were not quite right or it was too much or something. But at the beginning, it seems like you tried to just not say anything about it. Um, but I think it would have been important for you to be in touch with that and say it. Now we can't go back and change it now. And we're trying to deal with what you guys have at this time. So let me ask you something. When you bring up, well, what's his response if you say something like, I feel like you're upset about something else and you're bringing this up? Does he say no? Does he have any awareness of it? What is? How does he, he react? Yeah, he didn't deny it. I mean, he didn't say anything, actually. I told him that I think you were upset about me leaving at the end because your, uh, your reason for being upset doesn't make sense to me. Um, he doesn't. He didn't say anything to that, but um, he he he. Uh, I feel like he uh, wants me to just uh, you know to just trust him like hundred percent. Never ever question him, because um, like he's like yeah, you don't doubt me, and I'm like listen, you're not God. <laughs> <laughs> like it, it's just uh, I don't know. Like when he says I, doubt you, I mean there was that you gave that one example where. You asked him a question and asked his friend. What? How else does he feel like you doubt him? Yes, but I didn't... Um, no, I'm saying how I else? I think it's something that you get that much upset. Someone does the same, the same thing. Um, I know people are different, but I don't think this should be a matter that we um, just having so much hard time. Uh, you know, there are more important things in life that's going to happen in the future. It does this scares me because... He takes a lot of energy. Um, at the same time, he's very, very like romantic, affectionate. Like he really shows his love to me. Um, yeah. Well, those and things. Then, and then I think those about things like, can. Living, yeah. I think about those times too, and um, uh, I, I don't know what to do. I, I, I'm afraid to move forward. Mm -hmm. um, and I told him, "Let's go talk to a counselor because we can't solve this." And he said, "I don't believe in that. I'm not gonna." Uh, talk to a third person about my um, uh, whatever. I, you can just talk to me. You can just ask me well, why I'm upset. Mm -hmm. um, but well, he, he's not gonna come talk to someone, and mm -hmm. it's just he, he feels um, he feels like you know he just wants me to have him as one person in my life. Never uh, go to other people or uh, like let's say like we went to buy a printer, and then uh, he was telling me like. You know, buy this one. This is good because he had a background in computer too. And then the salesperson came along, and then he was like, "Can I help you?" And I asked other questions too, you know, because he was offering. And all of a sudden, he got so mad, he left the left the store. Hmm. And 
uh, he was like, you know, you don't trust me. Uh, I told you this is good. And I'm like, I'm not like that. And I ask, always ask around. It's not like I don't trust you, but uh, we had a very bad day that day. Like, we had a huge fight again. And it's not as easy as I explained to you, like, this is how I am. Uh, it's not like I don't trust you. Uh, it just goes on and on. It's like in circles. Mm-hmm. Uh, I need to explain myself. And then it's just he needs to be, be reassured, reassured again and again. Um, yeah. Well, so, I mean, he tells me that I'm hold not on sensitive. One- Okay, and and yeah, well, and there there could be that maybe you're not being sensitive to what he's he's saying, um, and you're not giving him that feeling that you understand him or you're saying when you know I, maybe you're right. These things don't have to become big fights, but when you tell him there's more important things, imagine how he feels when he's already feeling hurt or sad, and then you also tell him, by the way, your feelings are not important or this is not a big deal. In that moment, he can't just change it or switch it off but it's only going to make him feel worse. So he's saying, I feel bad about this. And the things he sometimes is feeling bad about are things that he's, it seems like he's feeling insecure or weak about. And then you say, okay, you're feeling weak. And also it's weak for you to feel weak, basically. Uh, no, not... I don't tell him that, to be honest. It's you always try to explain okay. why it happened. But yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't like undermine his uh, feelings or, um, I know he's very sensitive about that. I don't, don't do that. And then last time when I talked to him, I said, um, you know, there are things that, you know, uh, I think we, we need to learn how to, like, you know, navigate through transition moments and make it easier for both of us. I never put okay, down his feelings. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's but, good. But yeah, we yeah can, but he doesn't want to talk to anyone. Yeah, oh. it's good. I mean, you know, you guys probably will benefit from that or you guys will need that. But it seems like he doesn't feel like you fully trust him, you fully love him, and it could be from him, and it's nothing you're doing, but I do want you to be open to thinking, okay, what am I doing that can also contribute to this? Is it just him, or could it be things I'm doing as well? Because you can't just change him, but you can change what you do, and we have to look at what you might be doing that doesn't make him feel loved by you. Is it just him being insecure no matter what you do, He's going to be upset, or are there ways that you do things or don't do things that make him feel this way? And there does seem to be that theme, at least in the stories you've shared, of him feeling not enough, of him feeling like you don't trust him or love him or or all of those things. And lastly, I'll say this. We're going to go to commercial break, and then um, we'll come back and talk some more. Uh, He, You know, some of these things come together. Like you are saying, he's very sweet and romantic, but then he's also very sensitive. Now, it doesn't mean he has to be sensitive in this way, but those things can come together. And at times, you have to also recognize that our partners, no one's going to be perfect. And so they're going to have certain characteristics that in some ways we like, but that same characteristic can have a flip side that we don't like, too. And so, for example, Mm -hmm. you might realize at some point, I love how he is and he's so sensitive because it comes with this other part that I actually really like of him being so caring and romantic as well. Now, it doesn't mean the bad side has to stay as bad as it is because I think you guys can work on that and he can work on that, but he'll have to want to. But I want you also to think about that as well. So we're going to go to commercial break, but after the break, we'll talk some more, okay? Okay, thank you. Okay, all right. We'll be right back.
back. Let's go back to our caller. Caller, are you still okay. there? Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. So we were talking, you're telling us about your relationship. You guys have been together two and a half years, engaged uh, last year, and you're yes. concerned about some of the things that are happening in the relationship from your uh, fiance's side. You feel he can be too sensitive about things um, yes. and bring things up that you think are not so important, but then they become big fights. So overall, do you notice this theme where he f you feel like he's not sure you love him enough or you want to be with him or does he get jealous often about other things that you haven't mentioned so far? Uh, I think not that I love him, but um, I think he just needs to be reminded very often. Uh, I think he's very... Uh, he takes things too personally. Like, uh, he thinks like... He, it's like I feel like I've been watched and I have to like be very careful about what I say if you're in a group of people, like to not, you know, make him upset. Um, but I, honestly, I can't be like that. You know, I'm a little carefree. I like, mm -hmm. um, I never, I, I'm not a person. I, I've told him before, like, I'm not that type to want to belittle or insult someone, let alone you. Um, I've explained that he, I don't know, but he doesn't believe me. He, mm -hmm. he doesn't, he doesn't trust people easy. He, he told me that he grew up in a bad neighborhood and, um, he just doesn't trust people that easy. I'm the exact opposite. I trust people unless it's proved otherwise, but um, yeah. I think yeah. he doesn't trust anyone, including me. And well, I think, like, he's, my problem with him is that I, I don't say that, okay, so this is the thing that you got upset about, but my problem is his reactions and the extent of our fight is not proportionate to the, to the thing that happened. You yeah. know, I'm like, this can be an easy conversation. You just tell me that you didn't like that about me asking the same question from another person. I, I tell you that I forgot, and I'm sorry. Can it be just that? Yeah, but, although, I mean, you have to understand that to him, when you say you forgot, you asked him, that hurts him too, because he, that means to him it wasn't that important that you asked him, you didn't care about what he said. That's probably what he's going to think. Now, what you said before the way at least you're feeling is like it's almost like he's like he's watching you he's looking for it it does seem like again this is from your side your experience of it he's already convinced you don't let's say love him enough or he's not enough in some way and he's looking for that confirmation and so this can be very difficult it's like if someone is uh, a suspicious person they're almost like assuming the crime has happened and they have to just find it. They're looking for it and trying to catch it. Mm -hmm. So it seems like you have that feeling that he's like, okay, she's doesn't trust me. She whatever the, the worries he has or insecurities he has in general that I think he's projecting onto this relationship. And then he's looking for you to prove him right. Oh, see, she doesn't trust me or she doesn't this. Now we do have to look at how you make him feel too, because since I'm talking to you and you can again only change your side of things, but there mm -hmm. does seem to be some of that that from your feeling it's like he already assumes you don't uh, maybe you didn't think love you and love him enough is not the way he feels but something along those lines but even when you say reassurance it's like he can't hold on to it so it does feel mm -hmm. like you don't not love him enough in general but that you might stop loving him at any moment and so he's looking for that proof and so you feel like in a way you're on eggshells where you're especially in public maybe with other people that he's looking for a way where maybe you prefer someone else's opinion or prefer someone else over him, and I could see how that would be exhausting for you. Yes, yes. But well, I don't know what to do since yeah. he doesn't want to work on it, like talk to another person. Because I've explained to him a uh, hundred times, 
um, I try to like m- m- make him like reassure that this is not the case. I love you, love, love, love. But it happens. Like we're good for a, a month, two months, uh, and then again something else happens, very small, and we just um, you know be, end up at being square one. You know. Uh-huh. Do you feel um, like he notices? Like he recognizes things at all? Does he see this pattern or? Does he just think, no, you did something really wrong again? Um, he, I'm sorry, say again. Like, does he see know. the pattern? Do you feel like he understands? Like, he says, you know, yeah, every t- I have this insecurity or I have this feeling. Does he see it that way? Or he just thinks, no, no you're doing he something he wrong? Doesn't, he doesn't. He never admits. Uh, I never tell him that you're insecure, but he never he never sees it that way. He, he always feels like he's right and then... Um, I upset him, and then um, usually things are my fault. And um, when we make up, um, he he apologizes. He apologizes on his, uh, you know, you know, on his part too. But initially, usually everything is my fault, and I'm the bad person that make him feel that way. And um, even like something like he passed the red light, and then uh, I told him, oh, it was red, and then. Um, and then he was upset, and then he and then he went back to see there were cameras, and then uh, and then he was like, uh, and I told him, I think you were like yellow in the middle, and then <laughs> but anyways, he was, and then all of a sudden, yeah, you made me. He was like, you made me, um, you made me like, um, uh, you know, you scared me. You said I passed the red light, and I'm like, why is this even about me? You're the driver. Well, you know, even like something mm-hmm. that. Well, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know. As that, that right. has the red light is my fault, not the driver. Well, this is fault that you. After that, he said, "Oh, I'm sorry. I know I'm the driver." He he mm. he admits that you know uh, it's his fault, but initially it's my fault. Yeah. So it seems uh, he he seems very defensive that it's hard to tell him something he did was maybe not even not right, but could have been slightly not right. Does he? Um, so in general, is he very defensive with everything? Do you think he doesn't say, acknowledge mistakes or acknowledge doing something wrong? No, he's uh, initially he's very he get, he gets very defensive. After um, after like we make up and it's everything is good, and then he says, "Oh, I'm sorry on my part. I shouldn't have said this." Um, but it happens again, you know. Mm. Um, uh, and then when it when he tries to make everything seem my fault, it just uh, I feel I can do nothing. It's just I, I, I last time I just gave up. I was like mm, I don't think there's anything I can do. I, I just don't have the energy to fight anymore over these things. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's a. Uh, I mean, th- and this is part of the problem is the way you're describing it is so defensive. People like that often don't want to go to therapy because. They feel like just by going to therapy, they're saying I'm weak or I'm not good enough or I'm, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. you know, so that's the problem is he sees it as that way, even though I get the sense you tried to present it more that our relationship needs work or it's not about him being the problem, but still it's mm-hmm. hard for him to go to therapy and say, oh, there, I can't have a good relationship or I have some issues. Uh, he wants mm-hmm. just you guys to fix it. But it, yeah, you guys, you guys are going to need more. Clearly, it's not going to be good this way going in this pattern and mm-hmm. so I, I don't know if i heard you correctly did you say sometimes you think about leaving or ending the relationship yeah because yeah. um 
Um, I'm, I, I can't. I, I feel like he wears me out with these fights. Mm-hmm. Um, I love him very much. Uh, it's very hard for me. But if he's not gonna, if he's not willing to work on these things, then how am I gonna live with him? You know. Um, Mm-hmm. If you are fighting over these things, over my stupid comments, or um, to me, honestly, it's very unimportant. There can be a single conversation, simple conversation. Then um, it's going to be more um, issues when two people live together. Uh, sure. I believe. Of course, um, yeah, the issues will so get more I serious. Gonna, I yeah. can't fight every day, and I can't walk on eggshells. Or um, I just want him to fight easier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to be not so dramatic, you know. Yeah, but um, the thing is, again, when you and maybe you're just saying that to me, but if you share that with him, it's going to just make him feel worse about his feelings if you tell him he's being dramatic or say he shouldn't be upset. Um, but I could see how it's exhausting. Last time. Yeah, I, I think you guys w- will need to get help, and you can tell him. Look, our, I, I always make it a we thing, not you have problems, you get too mad, you're too sensitive. But we are having these fights and these things come up and we need to work on them. Let me ask you something. What do you think you do that contributes to what's going on? Um, What I think I do maybe is just, um, I don't know, maybe I don't know him that well. Maybe, um, you know, uh, honestly don't know. He tells me that I'm insensitive tells me like maybe I'm not as um, like sensitive as him um, mm-hmm. I, I try to show him my love and everything but you know but I don't think he I don't think he believes it well that's that's what I'm saying that's a big uh, issue if it's there a big problem because it could feel like no matter what you do it won't be enough because he's convinced that you don't. And then at some level, he'll like just find it again, the, the proof, you know, he'll find it in some way. And again, even I said that word proof, it really will, can feel that strong. And so that can be exhausting for you, that feeling mm-hmm. that no matter, you know, almost like you have to tell him, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. And then, you know, if you don't say it one time for five seconds, he thinks, oh, so you don't love me that much because you didn't say it in that moment. And I'm, I'm kind of exaggerating mm-hmm. it in a way. But the reason mm-hmm. why I asked you the question is to, to be aware of, Maybe there are things you do that contribute to it. And getting a little bit deeper, you guys can look at why you chose each other, at least up to this point, because there could be ways you remind him of someone in his family, let's say his own mom, that there was a withholding of love. So he's looking for that withholding from you. And, um, you know, that could be continuing some pattern because the reactions you're describing do seem that it's not just about you and him. It is something within him, too that's being triggered mm-hmm. and so it will be important until he recognizes that some of that and so you might be maybe it is that you're insensitive at times and i do want you to look at that realistically as it could be possible and you know sensitive and insensitive it's not black and white it's very much also subjective so he might feel that you're insensitive compared to what he likes and maybe for you that's different than what you're used to but you do have to be aware of what you're contributing to because if you just you're saying he doesn't take any responsibility um you want to make sure you're not doing that either when it comes to this and saying it's just his insecurity that's the only problem there could be things that you contribute as well that i really want you to to think about also no no i i admit that some like Mm -hmm. i tell him okay i i realize that i did that to you but my point is um 
it, it can be a simple argument. It's just um, it's just dramatic. Yeah. I, I'm not saying I'm not being. Uh, I, I admit that sometimes yeah. I'm insensitive, but uh, I'm saying why should we fight this much? Right. And and so and, and you know in the moment I would say try to stay with his feeling, but I could see it does seem that it's just a lot. The way he um, responds is in ways that it's he already assumes you don't love him, and that's the problem at the core. The foundation has an issue, and it could be that you're not doing anything that should make him feel unloved, but that he has a hard time just believing it. And in the stories you shared, it was always about, a, a, at least the two of them you shared, it was about a man, for example, asking his male friend. And I think even when you guys were looking for a printer, you said a man was helping you at the store. Yes. So uh-huh. there does seem to be something there, too, that he doesn't feel powerful or strong enough as a male and is thinking that you'll find someone else you know more powerful than him and so that insecurity is there but what makes it very hard in these situations you know everyone has weaknesses everyone has insecurities but when we don't have awareness of them or we can't acknowledge them that's a problem so for example someone can say um you know i have an insecurity about being late places and so i know that when we're late i might get more stressed out than most people and so they can own some of it but it seems like your experience with him he doesn't own that you know this is partially my insecurity or i have this issue it's just that you're being insensitive or you did something Uh really wrong and like i said maybe you are doing something that can be you can be more sensitive let's say but it seems like he's not owning his side and no. that's another part of this sensitivity that he has that you're saying he's so romantic and caring, which is good, but also comes with this part where it's almost, it seems like he's too reactive in a way that he can't handle being wrong or handle that. And if we no, try to put can. ourselves in his shoes, again, if he's already feeling in some way not good enough or, or weak or that you're going to want someone else instead of him, then when it comes to, oh, and even the reason why you're upset is because you're also not enough some way it's even harder for him to take that in. But eventually, we're gonna, I hope he will, and I hope you approach him again. I know you, I'm, like, I'm sure you will, about going to therapy and really get him to see that it's not about him being bad or even you guys being bad, but that we go to therapists to help us, not to tell us even why we're wrong, but to help us have a better relationship and even ask him how he feels in the relationship because oftentimes this helps rather than saying you are the problem, saying Mm -hmm. if you're unhappy too, shouldn't we do something about it? Now he might say, yes, listen to me more. And you might say, I I really am trying, but sometimes I might not know even what I'm missing when you say listen to me, that there's Mm -hmm. things I'm not understanding and I'm sorry when I don't understand what you want from me or what you need from me. And that's why I think it would help us and, you know, emphasis on us rather than help him. Um, but I could see how you feel stuck. You feel that he, there's things that aren't good in the relationship and he doesn't want to really work on them the way that it is necessary. So I can see how that gets you to the point of breaking up. And I'm very big on not using breaking up as like a threat um, or ultimatum. But realistically, at times we can say, if our relationship goes this way, I have these concerns that it could lead to the end of the relationship. So it's not a, if you don't go to relationship uh, therapy next week, I'm ending this relationship, but it's more of a realistic, you know, really, if you mean it, you can say that to him, that it gets to that point where I think about how, how our relationship is going to survive moving in, getting married, having kids, if these things keep coming up. So I would approach him again about that. Again, recognizing he's not just the problem. It's both of you but that something has to be done and it doesn't seem like you guys are going to get anywhere 
the way it's going. It's almost like he's okay staying stuck like this, but you're not. Mm-hmm. No. Uh, so uh, what if his answer is, again, no? Well, I would, yeah, I mean, I, and again, not as a threat way, like, okay, well, if you don't go, I'm leaving. But I would say, really, I think the way we're going, this relationship, we're not going to, it's not going to be okay. I want us to be stronger. I want us to be ready to get married, have kids, and all the challenges we're going to face from outside and within our own relationship. And really, I want us to go to make the relationship stronger. And, and you could, again, it re, if it's really how you're feeling, tell him that I, I, I could get to the point where... I can't stay in this. This relationship won't work. If you're getting to that, are you at that place? Where are you right now? Do you feel like breaking up is on your mind or is it just something you could see it becoming an issue? Um, so I, um, it's, it's just on my mind. I, um, I'm just thinking, cause I, I feel like he has this huge ego that, um, he doesn't, he doesn't want to admit like, um, that there are some issues in him yeah. too, uh, you know. So I don't know if I'm well. That's why I would be make successful in getting him yeah. to dig deeper, you know. Because yeah. I don't think he does want. He wants to go there. I know like he might not. Too. And you, if he doesn't, that obviously you can never force someone. But I would emphasize it's about you and him, not about just him. So it's about the relationship. Yes, yeah, that's how I tell yeah. him. To be honest, with yeah. you. I tell him, actually, I tell him I can't. Uh, I want to learn. Uh, like a, a better way yeah. when we have tension moments, tense moments, you know. Um, I want to learn. I, I'm, I even go alone, but I appreciate if you can come with me. So, um, But he said, no, um, you can just ask me. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can tell him that's not enough. And he might not, and that what I'm saying might not be enough for him. I understand I'm not saying there's some magic words you can say to convince him, but I would just share with him that, that how critical you think it is and how bad. I mean, do you really feel like things, does he see things in the relationship as very bad or he thinks they're okay? No, I think he thinks it's not as bad because okay. he has a lot of, I'm telling you, he has a lot of energy. Like, yeah. he talks too much and... Uh, well, that could even be the reassurance part. The exact opposite, like, uh, yeah. you know. <laughs> and well, then he, he actually doesn't get tired when we have those huge arguments. Um, and not when you're having the arguments. It's a, it's a big deal to him. Yeah, I don't but think you, so. you have to share with him how you're feeling. That you know, your his feelings are very important, but so are yours. So if you're getting very frustrated or upset or hurt by things, you, you can let him know that too. And he, you need him to be able to hear your feelings also. That you're frustrated in the relationship, but it's tough because if he feels like things are more okay. It that makes it harder for you to say that we need therapy. If he's like, no, things are fine. We just have these fights sometimes. And also, like I said before, not that you should snap at him or get mad at him, but be aware of your own feelings and make sure you express those too. Because if you feel like, well, I'm so upset by him, but I can't tell him because he can't take it, or I'm so hurt right now, or I'm so sad right now, or I'm so worried, that is a problem. So that's what I was saying before about making sure you listen to your feelings. And you don't have to tell him everything every time in every way but making sure you don't hold on to too much because he might think you're more okay than you are if you do that so he has to to know you're not okay your feelings are as important as his feelings and they have to be addressed and discussed too Um, but i would bring it to him strongly that for you therapy is getting to the point where you feel like it's not just we should think about it or it's maybe it's like we have to go like i you know you might have to put a little bit of pressure 
again, making it about you and him, not about just him being the problem, Mm -hmm. but that you're not happy. If you're not happy, he's right. You have to listen to him and and his feelings, but he has to listen to you and your feelings too. And that's why I'm saying make sure you share those feelings with him. No, I I do. Okay. I do. Yeah. It's tough. I could see how you feel feel stuck, uh, but I think something's got to give. And you can let him know. Like I said, I wouldn't use it as an ultimatum, but you can. You have to make sure he knows. It's not just like, oh, I kind of don't like things. It's it's the point where you consider how strong the relationship could be to, to make it into the future. So I, I would bring that up however you can. I do have to go, and I want to get to other callers too, but thanks for okay, your call. Okay, thank you so much. Sure. Thank uh, you. How can I listen to this again? I'll be. Uh, it'll be on my podcast by tonight, so it'll be uh, on iTunes iTunes. Okay. Thank you so much. Sure. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello. Yes, hi. Hi, uh, thanks for having me. Um, I have a question in regard to my 16-month-old daughter. Okay. She's our first child and the only child. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, she's a happy uh, baby. She's pretty active, and we try to pay attention as much as possible. But sometimes, um, in some occasions, when she's playing with her toys and Something goes in a way that she's not expecting. For example, she's playing with her Legos and some of them are stuck and she cannot get them out. She gets frustrated and starts, you know, hitting her head hmm. with her hands or, or grudging, you know, uh, her teeth so hard or trying to throw. It's just it's just a rush of some anger mm-hmm. and after that, uh, she feels a little, to me, uh, guilty and upset because then she's just not trying not to look at us, even though we, we so far, we are just ignoring her. Whenever she does that, we don't go to her saying, no, no, don't do that, or mm-hmm. we don't give her, you know, angry look or something like that. We just ignore her. Um, to some extent, I cannot understand her feelings because since she cannot express her feelings with words yeah she's trying to sort of show us but for us it's a little disturbing to see that mm-hmm. and we were wondering if we need to stop her when she does that like by saying no 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 don't do that or just let it go and ignore her and when she calms down we just Mm-hmm. You, you know, as yeah. you go and play with so, her. So you said she hits herself in the head? Yeah, yeah. So with both of hands sometimes, or one of them, she just a couple of times hits her head. Hmm. Uh, you know, that might be, you know, depending on how hard it is, I mean, I, I would, when she's hurting herself, especially, I would stop her. Now, obviously... There's what you're going to do in the moment, but also we want to be aware of what's going on. Kids get frustrated. Everyone gets frustrated, and we express it in different ways. And like you said, at her age, she doesn't know what to do with the feeling. She can't verbalize it. She feels very stuck, and so she does that. Depending on how she's dealing with it, though, it could be 
so extreme that we want to be aware of other things and, and keeping an eye on her. Of course, I know you will be anyway of what it can develop into. But for me, if she's hurting herself, I would stop her. But I And I wouldn't ignore her. Uh, I would show her we care about her feelings. So what's happening is she's frustrated. She needs help calming down. So okay. you can put a hand on her back. Do something that helps to soothe her because she's not able to calm herself down enough yet. Oh, you're, you're frustrated. You can't take the Lego. And verbally, you said she's 16 months. She might not get exactly what you're saying. They'll f- she'll feel it in your tone of voice. And as she gets older, she'll hear it and understand. And even telling kids what they're feeling or helping them understand what they're feeling verbally can be helpful. So I would help her to calm down. I, I get what you're saying of ignoring it. Something we do if a kid is tantruming, to sh- that's more to show them that by tantruming, I'm not going to give you your way. But with her, it seems like she's having a hard time regulating her feelings. And so we want to help her with that. So I wouldn't just completely ignore it. I would I would ignore um, in the way you said that you think she feels guilty or ashamed. We don't want to add to that in any way to make her feel bad, to make her feel that was too much. What are you doing at all? We want to make her feel like she had big feelings and she didn't know how to deal with those big feelings. And that's what she did. And we want to help her with those big feelings. Does that make sense? Yeah, so uh, we've been trying to um, figure out the um, you know problem or issue in advance before she gets frustrated. Mm-hmm. For example, when she's playing again with her Legos and she cannot figure out how to put them back, I sort of try to do the same thing, like going, like doing stupid things, not just doing the right thing. So I don't want... She feel that okay, she's not capable. But mm-hmm. look, my daddy can do it. So mm-hmm. sometimes mm-hmm. I just intentionally show her. Look, I cannot also put the Legos back on the board. Uh-huh. So um, just to give her this feeling that okay, daddy can do that too. So it's normal. Mm-hmm. Or or sometimes like um, uh, there are there are there are other occasions that. Uh, she's pointing at something, and we don't know what she's asking. So we sort of, I try asking, do you want this? And she's like, like pointing to the other thing. Mm-hmm. By the third item that I'm asking that, do you want this? She gets frustrated and starts to, mm-hmm. you know, hit herself again or, um, um, you know, pressing her teeth together, grudging, uh, just the way show that okay no that's not what I'm asking mm-hmm. I'm asking for something else and yeah. um, so we should we should stop her before the I hitting know. herself I think especially we I mean you can't really if she's like grinding her teeth or something we can't stop her from that I would try to help her soothe herself with that like I was saying before the extinguishing the hitting kids can get frustrated they show sometimes they'll hit even you if they're upset too. So it's not that we have to be alarmed that for sure this is something bad, but it does seem like maybe regulating herself might be a little harder than it might be for another baby her age, but not necessarily yet just based on these few stories, but just something I want you to be aware of that is it just harder for her to calm herself down? Is there something else going on? Um, And we always want to verbalize what she's saying. You can say, oh, I know it's hard. I'm sorry, I can't find the thing you're looking for, you know, so you're showing her you understand her feelings, you're sorry you can't help her. And what you said was really great, how you go play with her and show her sometimes I can't get it either. And I would even 
verbalize what you're doing. Oh, I'm kind of frustrated. I don't know how to pull these two apart. Because a lot of times what parents will do is say, oh, I can't do this. And see, I don't care because it's not, it doesn't matter. But you can show her it's a little uh -huh. bit frustrating, but it's okay. Like you can manage it. But, oh, I wish I could get these two to fit. Or I don't know how to pull these two apart. And oh, it kind of makes me upset, but let me see what I can do. And even with kids her age, you can try to show her you take deep breaths. She won't be able to, to follow you yet, but just to calm her down. But we want to help her get better at calming herself down. It does seem like, again, most kids her age are going to have a hard time with that. And so I don't want you to be too alarmed. But maybe it's a little bit more on the extreme end when you say she hits herself in the head. Um, and that's what I'm a little bit concerned about. But I want to make sure you guys, like I said before, don't make her feel bad even about hitting herself. It's not that it's bad that she hits herself. We actually don't like it because it could hurt herself. So it's not about, oh, this is a bad thing. You shouldn't do this. It's that we don't I want you to hurt you because, you know, we love you. We don't want you to get hurt. So we that's why we, we want to, you know, we might hold your hands when she does that. You know, however you feel like you can soothe her, you know, patting her head or her back something yeah. we want to help her calm down I, when she was a baby was she also just hard to calm down was she colicky like what was she like no no very very happy uh very mm. calm she so we we followed all the instructions uh about you know how to raise kids in this age uh following the dvds and you know mm -hmm. uh, the lessons and she was pretty happy she started uh, uh sleeping in her own, uh, you know, room when she was four months, no colic, no, no crying. Mm -hmm. She was very easy baby. And these days she go, she, she's very easy to put in a re routine. So she goes okay. to bed at 7 p.m., wakes up at 7 a.m., no feeding at night. She's, so she started crying a couple of times, but we ignored. And then she realized that, okay, I, I'd better go back to sleep. Mm -hmm. And uh, she's very, very clever, and she uh, watches us very closely. Um, so, for example, in the middle of one of these uh, occasions when she started hitting her head, I just, uh, you know, sort of uh, pat her and said, uh, no, daddy, no, zee, no, zee. Mm -hmm. Then uh, she, she quickly got that, and whenever she gets angry, she remembers it and in the middle of hitting her head she starts to say no zi, no zi, like trying to calm herself yeah so, well that's good um, that she's seeing that and that i mean she's picking up on those things and that's good and like i said what's so important for me is that you guys make sure she feels okay even when she's feeling yeah. that bad and that's especially why i would say uh, in this instance you shared you didn't ignore it i wouldn't ignore it because it could make her feel like when she's in that worst moment, mommy and daddy go away or they don't want to be around me. So that's why I actually wouldn't uh -huh. ignore her when she's upset because it doesn't seem like she's doing it in some kind of manipulative way to get her way. She's just really frustrated. So we yeah, actually want to show yeah. her we're there for you the most in those moments when you're actually very upset. That's when we're most there for you, you know? And a lot of parents, unfortunately, they do that with their kids. It's like, oh, you're so upset. I don't want to be around you right now is the message we give them. And that's mm -hmm. definitely not, especially at her age. It's like, okay, you're so upset. That's why we're here for you to help you. You're frustrated. We understand to give her that feeling that it's okay that she feels so hurt or so upset, you know? Um, but like I said, the hitting, she it's something to be aware of. A lot of kids can do those kinds of things, but just seeing how she yeah. does, we don't want to judge her for it. We don't want to make her feel bad, but just give her that sense that 
she doesn't know what to do with her feelings, and we're going to help her. Yeah, thank you so much. Sure. Uh, do you think we have time for another quick question? Sure, how about this? Uh, uh, we're actually at a commercial break. Let's talk uh-huh. after the break, okay? Sure. Okay, thanks. I'm going to put you on hold. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delok. We will be right back. جمال این پرونده تصادف چی شد؟ تصادفم؟ وکیلم خیلی مهربان بود. حتما کلی خسارت برات گرفته. خسارت؟ وکیلم خیلی برام وقت میذاشت. هر روز بهم زنگ میزد. پول چقدر برات گرفت؟ پول؟ وکیلم خیلی بهم اعتراض میذاشت. بالاخره بردی یا باختی؟ باختم. وکیلم همه فن حریف بود. از دادگاه تصادفات رفتیم تو نزدیک بود از دادگاه خانواده بیایم بیرون. ده همه فن حریف نه. بگو همه کاره و چی؟ هیچ کاره. آفرین. شمارهشو بدم خدمتتون. نه جونم. ما میریم پیش متخصصش. یک نام یک تخصص دکتر کامران یدیدی وکیل تصادفات 818 999 9999 اگر کامران یدیدی وکیل شماست پس شما هم یکی از هزاران برنده اید سلام عرض عدب دارم خدمتون مانی هاتمی هستم در خدمتون میگم وقتی یک رودخونه جاری میشه وقتی که یک سنگی جلو راهش قرار میگیره نمیسته از کنار اون سنگ روان میشه و به حرکتش ادامه میده این روشی هستش که افراد موفق زمانی که یک مشکلی برشون به وجود میاد برخورد میکنن به جای اینکه صورت مسئله رو فراموش بکنن در واقع اون مسئله رو کنار میگذارن و به مسیرشون ادامه میدن با حل کردن اون مشکل قاعدتا نمیشه تمام مشکلات رو ما خودمون حل بکنیم چون نمیشه بابت هر چیزی هم رفت یاد گرفت و تخصص اون کار رو به دست آورد ما در مجموع زنیت به افرادی که بدهی دارن کمک میکنیم. پیشنهاد من اینه که اگر بدهی داریم بر کرید کارتاتون به جای اینکه با مشکل کنار بیاین و فقط و فقط و فقط مینیمم پیمنت بدین، یک راه حلی پیدا بکنید تا از شر اون بدهی خلاص بشید و ما کاری هستش که در مجموع زنیت برای افراد انجام میدیم. اگر افراد 30000 دلار بدهی دارن و Back before the break, we were with the caller. Let's go back to him now. Caller, are you still there? Yes, I am. Okay, hi. all right. So you said you had another question about your 16-month-old daughter. Yes. Um, so we live in Massachusetts, and here, um, we both of us, um, I and my wife, we are PhD students, and the university offers uh, family centers that you can take your kid with yourself, and you have you, you need to stay there. So it's not a day care, but um, since we are planning to start the daycare when she's around 18 or 19 months old because she's a baby girl, we know that probably we can start sooner. Um, but so we started going to the family center, so she get gets used to crowd other babies mm-hmm. and playing by herself. So when we start the gate, the daycare, we won't have you know serious problems. She doesn't have seem she doesn't seem to have stranger anxiety or separation anxiety mm-hmm. because at home she can play by herself as long as she's not hungry. Um, 
But when we take her to these family centers, she seems to be um, uh, not not happy and isolating herself and trying to stay away from the kids, and the grinding increases. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were thinking of um, to alleviate this, to get her used to this family center. Should we? Keep going, or uh, it's it's not a good idea, and we should stop going there well, until hmm. maybe she's at some age can well, handle it. Yeah, I mean, it seems like she might be getting overwhelmed, and there's some anxiety, and so yeah. she might be more on the sensitive end, or more, you know, sometimes you can call it introverted end, also, and so she might yeah. get overwhelmed by crowds, and so we don't want to put pressure on her, but we know she can't avoid crowds either, so. I don't think you should definitely not take her anymore, but uh, when you're there, she might need more attention from you. So even if she's playing, she might need you guys to stay close with her. Does she just yeah. grind her teeth out of nowhere, or is it when people come up? Like, what seems to trigger her getting anxious? It does seem like she has some anxiety as well, but what seems to trigger that? Uh, I couldn't figure out the, 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 mm-hmm. the triggers, but uh, she doesn't like the other kids around her or when she's playing with some toy and other kids the kids come to play with the same toy she just leaves that toy and that's the Mm. moment that grinding increases and i noticed that when i am sort of attached to her i am talking to her i am reading books to her or i am playing with the same toy that she is interested to play with then the grinding decreases and uh, sometimes she even tries to communicate me with some words, um, mm-hmm. and she's happy. But whenever, like, I'm a little far or some other kids come by, uh, then she's she's not happy. She's at home. She's a happy baby. She plays a lot. She makes a lot of funny noises. She's very happy. But when we take her uh, there, she's like uh, even gives sort of dirty looks to other kids <laughs> and yeah. uh, um, so if we take her to family centers then you're suggesting just pay attention to her and yeah uh, I think it's tough because I get what you're saying you see her and she doesn't seem comfortable we know that in life she's gonna have to be around other people and you know she's gonna have to get used to it so it's always what we want to do is paying attention to our kids' feelings, even our own feelings, but we don't just say, well, because we don't like something or something doesn't feel good, we completely stop that thing. Um, but, you know, it seems like she does get upset when other kids are around. Most kids don't like when other kids want to take their toy. It's interesting, you say, rather than fight for it, she almost wants to just avoid the conflict or avoid the situation, just leaves the toy and goes. Um, and so we don't have to worry yeah. so much. She's only 16 months old, so I'm not going to worry too much that, oh, that means she'll never fight for what she wants or she'll always just give no. up. But, um, you know, it does seem like she gets, I get the sense she gets overwhelmed. That's why I asked you about her being either colicky or sensitive in other ways because they usually do go together. But it does seem like she gets overwhelmed. I was going to ask you this also before the break. As far as things in the home between you and your wife, one, are they calm or is there, let's say, a lot of anger and fighting? And two, has there been any changes in the recent past? No. Uh, at home, even if there are some arguments, we don't do that in front of her. At okay. home, she's, she's like happy. We are giving her a lot of attention. I play with her a lot. Uh, even if like 
freezing cold in here, I take her outside, mm. let her play. We we never like so we literally don't say no to her until something is like dangerous. So she has the freedom and uh at home recently uh, and we've tried to be as consistent as possible so we have mm-hmm. not changed anything like even we had the chance to travel but we postponed that until she's two years mm-hmm. old um i cannot think of any change recently okay. but yeah. um now, one thing I'll uh, say, yeah, so, okay, that's good. And one thing I'll also, you know, you said we don't say no to her. And overall, that's good to give her like what she wants and needs. But being aware, especially as she gets older, that setting limits with her and at times saying no to her is going to be good, especially as she's starting to understand how to interact with the outside world. Because, again, she's only 16 months. It's slightly different. But I see this with some families as their kids get older in the home, they give them no limits, everything they want, anytime they want, always. And then when it comes time to be in the outside world, to be in school, or also to be with other kids where they also want things, so you don't always get what you want all the time right when you want it, they can't handle that frustration. So we have to be aware that setting limits isn't always trying to take away something from our kids, but also giving them boundaries, showing them that Sometimes there are moments where you don't get exactly what you want when you want it. And that's even why when, you know, the way she gets when something doesn't work, she's so little, we understand it's hard for her to handle those feelings. But we do, obviously, it's not that we want to avoid her being facing something that makes her frustrated. We want to help her get better at tolerating and calming herself down when she gets frustrated because that's part of life. So just something to be aware of that at times setting limits and saying no, especially as she gets older, is not a way of withholding something or not loving her. It actually can be the most loving thing we can do by helping them to recognize boundaries and structure and teaching them some ability to tolerate not getting what they want exactly in the moment. I see. No, no. Uh, yeah, but we're, we're pretty uh, aware of that, and thanks for reminding that. Uh, yeah, uh, so maybe uh, we should start doing that when she's like around two years old, saying no. But what I meant was like when she's outside and she sees a puddle of water and she wants to enjoy. <laughs> yeah, great. In, yeah. In that, uh, we, do, we do not stop her just because she's going to get dirty. Good. That's great. Yeah. That's actually a big thing I see a lot with parents. Um, and there's a movement towards this, but kids just like allowing kids to get messy or dirty or make messes. You know, we're so focused as parents and, and adults of keeping things clean and thinking about the cleanup part, but kids need to make messes. They need to get into those things. So that, that's good. Yeah. That kind of thing is great to, to give her that freedom to have fun and explore the world, um, openly. That's wonderful. Yeah. Okay. Um, Thank you so much. Yeah, for your thank time. you. I appreciate your calling. Really thank you. I'm glad. Yeah, you know the things you guys are doing are very important. Uh, like you guys are really, I, I can tell by, of course, you even calling me, but the way you're talking about things, you're taking the parenting very seriously, which is great. Um, I would keep an eye on how she's soothing herself because the way you brought it up, it could be more on the extreme. And actually, let me ask you something else. You and your wife, do you guys have anxiety yourself? Well. Um I do have uh, anxiety, and I am um, seeing a therapist for that. You Great, know, okay. Just to work and life balance. Graduate school is a little challenging and stressful, 
uh, I do have the anxiety. Mm-hmm. I, I guess if uh, uh, if 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 you want to blame me, that's, that's <laughs> no, I definitely don't want to blame you. No, not at all. It's more about okay. understanding. It, it gives, gives us a better understanding of her, also. Um, of definitely more about understanding than blame, but you know, because kids feel it one and. They also obviously genetically get it. So it's just, it does seem like she has some anxiety. So it's not about blame. She also seems very sensitive and aware. And sometimes those things also come together that she's more aware. So she takes in more, you know, kind of like if you have a microphone, I'm talking into a microphone right now. If it's more sensitive, it's good because it could pick up things that another microphone wouldn't, but also it can get overwhelmed more. And so she might be the same way that she'll take more things in, which will make her very perceptive and observant. And again, it could go along with being more introverted, like she likes communicating with one person at a time, let's say. We don't want to jump to that conclusion, but it's possible. Um, But then she could get overwhelmed more, like when you're in this family environment and there's so many kids and other people there and she gets overwhelmed. And so we're going to help her get better at dealing with those situations. But it seems like you're doing a lot of great and right things and, and best of luck to you and your wife and your PhD programs. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, we've been trying to stick to whatever that's correct. And I guess in terms of anxiety, I remember when I was a kid, I used to be sort of showing similar mm-hmm. uh, you know, behavior when I was getting anxiety, like trying to sort of throw stuff or just, just yeah. relieve myself by, by showing some anger. And um, so I don't want... Um, so I want to have sort of... Uh, um, best response or I should say proper response toward sure. her reaction so we could we could sort of um, solve this uh, issue and problem and in, in, in that family center so when she's playing with a toy and some kid comes and takes that toy she she, she never cries mm. she just waits and monitors that baby when mm-hmm. they 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 are tired of the toy and they toss it. She quickly goes and picks that <laughs> oh. toy. And- <laughs> yeah, that's, that's kind of sweet. But it does show how much it's like she wants to avoid the conflict. And again, at 16 months, we're not going to make some grand conclusions. But it does yeah. seem that she's avoiding that that conflict there in that moment, even though she wants the toy, but she doesn't want to ask for it or create some kind of tension. And so, again, these are things we're going to just keep an eye on is how is she developing and helping her with those and everything she deals with, but in a way that never makes her feel bad or judged by it, which I don't get that sense from you. Um, but it's going to help her because, of course, eventually she it's going to be good for her to face situations where she might have to ask for what she wants or she might have a small conflict with another child and then they have to deal with it and resolve it. You know, So we're slowly going to see how she d- does with that. So I think her being with other kids will actually be good for her, even though it might be challenging for her, might make her a little bit stressed and so we don't overwhelm her with it, but we don't make it something where she doesn't see other kids either you know so that that's interesting it does seem like you know unfortunately iranians especially we can be very conflict avoidant at times and so she might already have some of that at 16 months but we'll see how she deals with it as she gets older yeah like uh, as parents we'll try to do our best yeah yeah i i that that i'm very sure of that you as parents you guys are trying your best that's very clear so uh, again wish you guys the best thank you for your call thank you for all your help. My pleasure. My pleasure. Have a great day. You, you too. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye-bye. All right. Going into our last commercial break. We'll be right back.
back. So uh, with the previous caller, they were talking about their 16-month-old daughter, and the topic of anxiety came up, and I wanted to talk about that in this last segment. Uh, and not so much into the definition of anxiety and treatment of anxiety, but something for us to be aware of in our own lives, because like any of the emotions or issues that we talk about in psychology, we all deal with them to a degree. So we might not all become clinically depressed and depression and sadness are not the same thing, but we will go through down periods in our life. And similarly, anxiety will say someone has anxiety in some way as if they have it and other people don't, but everyone has anxiety sometimes. Some people might have it much more and even to the degree where we might say they have an anxiety disorder of some kind, but we all deal with anxiety. And um, anxiety is more of a general sense of worrying about something. It's not going to be as specific. So we even use it, we use these words interchangeably in conversation. So we say we're anxious about our interview tomorrow, but usually more we're worried about it. Uh, anxiety is just a general feeling that we can't get our feeling or uh, exactly get a hold on exactly what that is. But anyway, when we're looking at things like worrying and anxiety, what they tend to do is make us avoid the thing we feel anxious about. And so if we look at something very specific, like a specific phobia, when someone, which is an anxiety disorder, when someone has a phobia, they avoid the thing they're phobic about. So if you have a fear of fly, uh, flying, you don't want to fly anywhere. So you might not even book a flight somewhere. You might avoid vacation somewhere. You might make excuses. It's your, your cousin's wedding and you want to go, but because you're afraid of flying and it's somewhere far away, you make an excuse for why you can't go. We're avoiding something because of that feeling. It's too overwhelming for us, or it feels too overwhelming emotionally, so we avoid things. And so if you listen to the show, you know that I'm a big advocate of getting us to connect and value our feelings, to, to get in touch with our feelings, because I think that's so critical in order for us to, to live a good life, to, to pay attention to our lives. If we miss our feelings, we miss a lot of information about ourselves, and so we need to be in touch in order to really be happy, not just content, but to live a fulfilled and meaningful life, we need to be connected to ourselves to know who we are, what we feel, what we want, what we don't want, and then to create that life. So we have to pay attention to our feelings, but we also have to make sure we don't just stop at the feeling or let the feeling make a decision. So even as I was talking about with that caller before, with their baby, maybe you feel uncomfortable in a situation and so you can get in touch. Oh, you know what? I get nervous when I'm going to go to a party. I realize I have this anxiety the whole day before or the whole day of about going to the party. But we don't just stop and say, oh, so I, I'm anxious about going to parties. I'm not going to go. I'm in touch with my feelings and I'm going to make that decision. We want to be aware of the feeling, but sometimes we can still go not necessarily against the feeling, but with that awareness, go forward anyway. It's just like if you want to apply for a job or ask for a promotion or do something that makes you a little bit nervous, let's say in your career, you might recognize you're nervous, but go forward anyway. Or when we talk about bravery or courage, a lot of times the way people will define it is not that you're not afraid, but it's being afraid, but going forward anyway, doing it anyway. So let's say a firefighter goes into a burning building. It's not that they don't care about burning buildings or they don't think it's even scary. They might be afraid, but they know that it's more important to go and try to save someone's life 
and that they're not going to not do that. So they're going to go forward anyway, because what they're doing is more important than that. So similarly in our own lives, we can recognize I'm anxious, but what I have to do is more important than this feeling. So the feeling is not just going to dictate my decision or my indecision or my inactivity or my passivity. And especially when it comes to things like anxiety, we know that it leads to avoidance. I can share a quick personal anecdote. If I look down at my arm, I see a very small bruise close to my elbow because yesterday I went in and did some blood work. And I myself have a little bit of, I wouldn't say full on phobia, but anxiety when it comes to injection as far as giving blood or as far as doing blood tests. And so I had avoided going for a bit of time for other reasons probably, but that was one of them that I knew I didn't want to go forward and do the blood test because I get lightheaded or I get very afraid and I can feel anxious. And so I don't like to do it. Um, but I know that that's not a reason not to go and do something that can be good for my health and to see what's going on and, and take care of myself. I can't let that anxiety make the decision. So I'm anxious. Oh, I'm not going to go. No, I'm anxious. I understand that I'm anxious. I can even work on that anxiety also, but I'm going to go ahead anyway. And so yesterday I went and I didn't feel so good. And afterwards I was a bit lightheaded for a few minutes, but I'm okay. Uh, and so it was just another reminder for me and wanted to remind everyone listening that oftentimes we'll avoid things because that's what anxiety tries to get us to do. But we want to make sure we don't let that happen. And if we try to understand that even, it can make some sense. Usually if something is scary to us, and again, fear and anxiety are not the same. I, I understand I'm using them interchangeably, but maybe it'll make sense. If we think that something we should be afraid of it, it makes sense to avoid it. If you think that if you open that door, there's going to be a lion that can attack you, it makes sense that that fear and that anxiety is going to tell you not to go forward. Now, fear is when we are actually scared of something that has legitimate threat to ourselves in the moment. So that's when you actually see the lion coming after you, you're afraid. That's fear. Anxiety is about something that hasn't happened or imagining something that is going to happen. And so that's what we will feel. We say, you, when I think about going on a plane, it gives you this feeling almost like you're dying or something really bad is happening. So it can make sense that it gives you this message to avoid that thing. Um, procrastination is another great example of this. Most people think, oh, I procrastinate because I'm lazy or people will tell you you're lazy or you don't have good work ethic or different things. But very often procrastination has to do with anxiety. I remember uh, opening a document to write a paper like Microsoft Word. And I'm just looking at the page and I would be stressed about what am I going to say? Is it going to be good enough? What's a good opening sentence? And because of that anxiety, I would go to Facebook or something else and, and stop working on the essay because that would give me a relief. And that's unfortunately the problem with something like procrastination and we're dealing with anxiety is that relief you feel when you avoid what's making you anxious feels really good. And it starts to reinforce it and it makes your anxiety even stronger and this pattern even stronger. So you open the Word document, you're looking at the blank page, you're getting stressed out. What am I going to write? Is it going to be a good paper? Am I going to get a good grade? Am I going to get a good grade in this class? Am I going to fail the class? What's going to happen to my career? And then you go to Facebook or Instagram and just distract yourself and ah, this nice feeling, relax for a moment at least. And it reinforces the pattern again. Next time you go back, you get drawn again to distract yourself. And so very often people who are procrastinating, they're procrastinating out of anxiety. 
sometimes it could be even related to perfectionism. I want to write the perfect first sentence. I want to write the perfect essay. And so they avoid starting it at all. And so sometimes it's just a paper or an essay, but sometimes it's even bigger decisions in our lives that we allow anxiety to make the decision for us. And we don't want to let that happen. Because usually, and even I can say this again for myself, I was anxious about getting a blood test. I had avoided it for some time. I went. It wasn't pleasant, but it wasn't so bad. I didn't like it. It's not something I'd want to do every day. But knowing that I should go, let's say, every six months or a year to get blood tested and see how you're doing, I can see how it's definitely well worth that discomfort. And I don't want to let the anxiety win. Don't let that fear win in our lives. So I, I'm afraid of getting rejected. I'm afraid of not getting the job. I'm afraid what if I get the job, I can't do it. We want to be aware of the feelings because that could help us combat the feelings, but we don't want to stop there. Um, and so going back to what I was talking about before, I want to go to this party, but I get nervous before I go to the party. What can I do to help it, help me make it easier to go? Or also what can I do to make sure I don't back out last minute. Maybe if I tell my friend, let's go together, one, I'll feel less anxious going with them. And two, it'll make it harder for me to back out. And that's good because I know I want to socialize more and get myself going. So we want to be aware of our feelings, be in touch with our feelings. Absolutely. But we want to make sure we don't let our feelings dictate our lives and make those decisions. And for some people, this can sound contradictory because when they hear me valuing feelings so much, they think that means that you should value them and just do what they say. But no, we use our emotional mind or emotional thinking, but also our rational mind to come to the best decisions for ourselves. I get stressed out when I go to these places, but I realize that I need to do this. For example, I need to network in order to build my business. So I have to go to these kinds of events. What can I do? I'm not just going to listen to the anxiety. I'm going to make sure I am thinking about it in a rational way too. And unfortunately, sometimes we let our emotions become our rational mind. And by that, I mean we rationalize reasons to give ourselves what feels right. Okay, I have to go to that network. You know what? That networking event, nothing even happens. If I go there, probably I won't even meet anyone. What's the point of driving all the way there? I don't even like driving to that part of town. And we'll come up with a million or million reasons to stay safe, to stay in that comfort zone. But that's what I mean by trying to understand ourselves more deeply means I say I'm anxious. I get it. I know I might try to get myself out of going there, but I know it's the right thing to do. And so I'm going to go. So we have to listen to our feelings, understand our feelings, but make sure we make the decisions that make the most sense for us. Question ourselves, challenge ourselves to make sure we're not taking the easy way because it's easier, because it's safer. Don't let the anxiety win in making you avoid the things that can help you in your life, personally, professionally, in every way, because that's what anxiety is going to do. It's going to make you avoid things. And it's up to you to realize that you can be powerful enough to feel anxious, but go forward anyway, to feel afraid and to go forward nonetheless. All right, that brings us to the end of today's show. Again, the book of the week is Brief Answers to the Big Questions by Stephen Hawking. And again, tomorrow, Thursday, November 21st at UCLA, you can come to a panel on peace, navigating identity in the Iranian diaspora, sponsored by the Iranian student group at UCLA. I will be there as part of the panel, along with several others, including Dr. Nushin Jahangiri, Dr. Benjamin Rad, and Dr. Nader Saidi, and the uh, moderator will be Dr. Nushin Valizadeh. So again, tomorrow, Thursday, November 21st, 6 to 8 p.m. 
at UCLA. All right, that brings us to the end of the show. Ghazal is here in the studio as always. Thank you. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dulak. We have a wonderful day.